Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Let me know if you're okay. All right. Let's get into the Word. Father God, we thank you. Again, we come before you, Lord, to receive instruction with the mind, Holy Spirit of God, that by your power, you grant us wisdom, grant us understanding, and cause us to see more clearly, Father God, your ultimate purpose for creation, why we are existing, and where you are taking us to, Father. We know, Lord, you are not here. Bring mankind here for experiment purposes, but God, you want to establish a purpose. You have a goal, and no power in any manner. Is able, God of glory, to thwart your desires concerning man. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so once again, you're welcome. We're going to continue with um, our subject on who is man or what is man uh, from the book of Psalm, right up from Psalm chapter 8. That's our main text. What is man? What is man? Hallelujah. Sorry, your screen here is not working. Even that. Praise God. So, we're going to go straight to um, Psalm chapter 8 and looking at verse number 3. Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3. Hallelujah. It says, Psalm 8, the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3. When I consider the heavens and the work of their hands or their fingers, I mean, if you understand, the finger of God is the Spirit of God. Pharaoh said that. This must be the finger of God. That's the power of God. Amen. The moon and the stars, which has ordained. What is man? That I art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that I have visited him. Verse 5 is saying, For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 6 says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of the hands, and thou put all things under his feet. Now we go to Hebrew to read about Jesus. Except yet we see not all things put on his feet. We're just looking at that simple question being asked there from the scriptures. What is man? Why is God concerned about man? In part one, I tried to give a little bit of, if I will call it, what I will call definitions and explanations. So we're dwelling on the same thing. Why is God concerned about man? By implication, why is God concerned about you as an individual? And like I said before, of all the things that God created, man is the epic. Amen? He finished every other thing and, and then he made man. In fact, scripture tells us that 
The rain will not fall, the dews will not come in because there was no man to do the ground. Hallelujah. It's the final thing that God made, in quotes. Every other thing that be made, he cap it up with man. And beyond that, I see something outside of that as well. You, you discover that it is not even the man that was the last thing that was made. It was a woman. The man was finished as it were finished product. Out of the finished product, the woman was brought forth. Well, that's supposed to make you understand. The fullness and perfection of Christ and then the revelation of the church coming out of Christ. Are you getting this? You see, God created everything and then he made man. And we supposedly feel that that was the last thing that he made so that he can have dominion. But out of that perfect man that he has made to have dominion, so the church is coming out of Christ which is the finished product in quote of all that God is made praise the Lord so why is God concerned about man because he is the ultimate he is his desire and like we read there is determined that God I mean man will have dominion over everything and not just that Man is made in his image and what and likeness. You see, when we consider this subject, you begin to see yourself in the scheme of work. I mean, what God has in mind. You begin to see who you are. You begin to see the potentials in your life. You begin to see how God ultimately intends you to rule and reign in whatever spheres that He has placed you in. Hallelujah. I dealt with this subject partially on the Facebook. And I called man is not, God is not using man as an experiment like a guinea pig farm. You need to understand that because it's very important. God is not experimenting with man being. What I mean is, okay, man just come into life and then he grows, he gets old, he dies, and then his children give birth to other children. And just like that, just like that. God is not experimenting with man. You know, sometimes you see when men produce vehicles, they put them on the road, and sooner or later they say there's a fault, they withdraw that brand and improve on the brand. God is not improving on man. In his mind, in his thought, he's a final product. He's just working to bring out ultimately what he has in mind. And like I tried to make you understand the last time, the devil does not have any power to make God not to do what he intended to do. So, as we go down, we'll be able to make you see that. That Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. I'm, I'm going to be repeating this so that it can really get into your mind. Hallelujah. So, when it comes to the work of redemption, in terms of the prophecy of what God has in mind, it's a finished product. But you see, when we, as believers, in quote, mankind, looked at creation, we see as if God is experimenting with mankind. 
few days ago, I, I was listening to a message. Actually, they were trying to say something about an individual, and then they come up to say, oh, God has gained. Uh, you know what I mean when I say God has gained? Yeah, because somebody died. God has gained. Uh, what a cheap way to exonerate. I mean, how do you imagine God gained because somebody died? No. The only thing that makes God happy is when man is saved. In quote, because scripture said the angels of, um, I mean, heaven to rejoice for the soul that is saved. Not when somebody dies. No. In fact, the scripture, the quote in Psalm to say, you know, it's a painful thing for God. I mean, when they say it's a precious thing in the sight of the Lord for the death of the saint. King James is a precious thing. When he's more precious, he's not saying it's very good. What he's saying is it's painful to God for a child to die, for a man to die. It's painful to God. So how will you say God gained when the thing is giving him pain? Hallelujah. Praise the living God. I'm trying to make you understand that death is not going to be a continuous cycle. As far as what God is concerned. I mean what God is doing with mankind is concerned. It's not going to continue. It will come to a place where death is going to be swallowed up of victory. Are you there with me? Praise the Lord. So this cycle is going to stop. I said this cycle of death is going to stop. Hallelujah. We may not have gotten to that point yet, but I know it and I believe it from the scripture that the cycle of death is going to stop. It will continue. Because remember, it began somewhere. Everything that has beginning has an end. There was no death in the garden until they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. How many of you understand that? Very good. So what about if you reverse the process? <laughs> He said, the ate of the knowledge of good and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they start dying. What about if you ate of the tree of life? Because there was also the tree of life in the midst of the garden. One produces death, the other one gives life. Hallelujah. Take with me to the Amplified Translation. Romans 8, verse 22 to 25. Amplified Translation. The book of Romans chapter 8, verse 22 to verse 25. And it says, We know that the whole creation of irrational creatures, trees, whatever the case may be, have been mourning together in the pains of labor until now. When somebody or a woman gets into labor, what do you think is about to happen? She's about to bring forth. Something new. Something completely different. A new being is coming into existence. What's the next thing? And not only the creation, but we ourselves too. We have and enjoy the first fruit. Who have enjoyed the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. A foretaste of the blissful things to come. A foretaste of the blissful things to come. We taste in something that is to come by reason of the Holy Spirit. You see, 
I told you here some time ago. If God is giving you a cross, I mean, if you remember that, if God is to give you a cross, He must first give you a glimpse of what is on the other side of the cross. So, Hebrew 12, the Bible said, For the joy that was set before Jesus, He endured the cross. He saw something on the other side. God will not take you to Canaan without telling you how fruitful the land is. Neither will not allow the spies to go and bring the fruit for you to see. And there's so much in that land. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit shows that there is a land we are to possess. And the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of that wall, of that glory. Hallelujah. So you read in Romans chapter 1, verse number 2, 3, and 4, how that Jesus become the Son of God. We're going to touch that much later. Through the power of the resurrection by what? By the Holy Spirit. So the foretaste that we have is we have the Spirit now in our spirit man. Our spirit man is redeemed. Amen. All right. Then he says, We groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies from sensuality and the grave, which we reveal our adoption, our manifestation as what? As God's sons. Hallelujah. That will reveal our manifestation as God's sons. For in this hope, we are saved. Praise God. In what hope? In the hope of the manifestation of our true sonship. We are saved. So you see, we are saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. Can you get that? Okay. Let's go back a little bit. Just keep this. Move on to Romans chapter 1. Look at 3 and 4. Defining our sonship and defining the sonship of Jesus Christ. The gospel, I call him, I mean, regarding his son who was to the flesh, his human nature was descended from David. And as to the divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated the Son of God in power, in striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner. By what? His resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Lord, the Messiah, the anointed one. Just take it from King James. Only this verse. Praise the Lord. I want you to see this. Okay, go back again to verse 3. Look at it. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So the one that was working in Palestine was in the category, you term the seed of who? Of David. Okay. What was the next thing? And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of what? Of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he was not fully the son of God while he was walking on the earth. 
in the capacity on the other side of the cross, he was the son of David. But when he moved on to the other side of the cross of the resurrection, he was the son of God. Son of God was inside the son of David, if you will. And so here he's telling us that we also have the hope. So what hope is that? The hope of truly become what? The sons of God. So go back to Romans chapter 8 now. Hallelujah. Amplify it again. And he said, for in this hope we were saved, but hope, the object of which is seen is not hope, for how can one hope for what he already sees? But if we hope for what is still unseen by us, we wait for it with patience and with what? With composure. Hallelujah. What is it we are waiting for? What you call the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body caused our true was sonship. Amen. So now I can always say this. There is only one hope that God has promised the church. And that is the hope of what? The redemption of our bodies. There's only one hope. That we may have the same body, the very body we lost in the garden. The body of glory. The body of light. Before the fall. The very body that Jesus walked with on the earth. I have only been saying this. For 40 days and 40 nights, he walked with a different body. It's called the body of glory, but it's made of flesh and bones, not flesh and blood. Let me show you. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 39, King James. Luke 24, 36, 39. And as the door spake, now here is the disciples, they were afraid after Jesus, you know, have died and then they hid themselves in the house. Doors, windows, everywhere locked. They were scared. Jesus walked into their midst. Bible said, the door spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they have seen the spirit. Other translations say they have seen the ghost. And he said unto them, Why are you so troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands. In other words, look at my hands. And my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit had no flesh and bones. As you see me have. A spirit have no flesh and bones. He didn't say flesh and blood. Did you get that? Right now you are in flesh and blood. But the body of true sonship is flesh and bones. Did you get that? So you look at that Romans chapter 1 verse 4. He was raised from the grave by the power of the spirit of holiness and then he was termed the son of God and now it is in this capacity of being the son of God that they walked into that house and they saw him. Flesh 
and bones. Not flesh and blood. You got to understand that. That's why when people say, oh, we already got into immortality. I always laugh. You can't be telling me you are into immortality when if we just take razor blade and cut your body now, blood is going to be oozing out. You're deceiving yourself. The man on the immortal dimension had nothing to do with blood. He was by the spirit. Amen? The life of the flesh, Leviticus 17.11, is in the blood. But when you become a transformed being, when you become a glorified son of God, it's not blood that gives you life, it's spirit that gives you life. And this is what God is out to do and to accomplish on the face of the earth. How many of you understand? Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Everything we must experience, he must have the preeminence. Whatever thing he has gone through, we are supposed to go through. Therefore, if he become a son of God by the resurrection from the dead and he attain to the place of putting on a glorified body that is made of flesh and bones and of blood and that's exactly what God intends humanity to become. And these are the categories of people that are going to possess the face of the earth. Hallelujah. You are not putting on flesh and bones to fly up to the sky. No, 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 no. This is the body with which you are going to live on this face of the earth. That was a body that Adam had in the garden. Hallelujah. It's called flesh and bones. And that is true sonship. Amen. I told us before in Deuteronomy 16 verse 16, there are three feasts that you can find. The three major feasts in Israel. You can find them in uh, Deuteronomy 16 verse 16. And he called them the Feast of Wheat, the Feast of uh, Passover, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's three feasts in a year shall thy male appear before the Lord thy God. In the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Living Bread, and in the Feast of Wheat, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord God empty. This three feast speaks of our walk into glory. Hallelujah. Look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. Or we can look at him from 6 to 7. Just look at that. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 7. Your glorifying is not good. You are not that in a little leaven, leaven of the whole lamp. Verse 7. Pour out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lamp, as you are only living. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So you're accepting Christ. The very beginning means you're partaking of the first feast, which is called the feast of Passover. The feast of living bread. That's what you see in Deuteronomy 16. So the feast speaks of our experiences in God. So we are celebrating the first feast with the feast of Passover. And there's a way the scripture says you should celebrate it anyway. Just look at the next verse. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old living, neither with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the unliving bread of sincerity and truth. So, if you're walking in malice and wickedness, all of those things, 
you are not partaking of the feast of living bread. You are still living. Is that okay? Hey, are we here? Good. So that was the first feast. And everybody who is uh, called upon the name of the Lord has partaken of that feast. Everybody. Everybody is already experiencing that feast. Second feast is the feast of Pentecost. Feast of Pentecost where we have uh, the experiences of the gift of the Spirit. Where we speak in tongues. Hallelujah. All of those things the giftings, the healing, the signs and wonders and miracles, all of those things that are going on, that's the face of Pentecost. And you know, some people rejoice and um, they end up thinking all that they can attain to in life is Pentecost. You see, God is not stopping this train in the station of Pentecost. He's still moving on. That is just a bus stop. But that's not the full bus stop. That's not the end of the journey. So, when you move out from Passover, you get to Pentecost. When you move from Pentecost, you move to the next feast, which is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Hallelujah. This Feast of Tabernacles is why you find that Jesus demonstrated on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's why Peter has a question. Let be three tabernacles here. Hallelujah. And what was that? The glory of the sun. If you look at that Romans again, chapter 1, verse 3, 4, you remember the story now. The sun that was in him came out. The very body that is called transfiguration, transfigurated body was demonstrating what true sonship really was. And that is why Peter could not hold back and say, hey, come on, we're going to be here. Let's, let's not go down out of this mountain. Let's be here. We will be three tabernacles. According to the account of the book of Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, no knowing what he said. Why did he not know what he said? Because you see, they have not even got to Pentecost yet. Jesus has not even died. The Holy Spirit has not even come. He's jumping into where? Into tabernacles. You don't know what you're saying. There is time for everything. Hallelujah. When it was the fullness of time, Galatians 4, Jesus was born, the Bible says. And when the fullness of time is come, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. There's always a fullness of time for all that God is doing. So you can't jump the gun. That's why Jesus said, no knowing what he said. Are you with me? So what am I saying? Everything he demonstrated on the matter of transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, was the manifestation of the true Son of God. But he couldn't remain at that stage because he has to come down to be able to go to the cross. But he showed them this is what true sonship Israel is. Praise God. Are you there? Glory. This is what the Bible calls the tabernacle of God. Is it man? Let's look at the book of Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse number 1 to 3, if you will. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. 
And I just saw the holy city. Heavenly Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Prepares a bride adore for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them. And he shall be their God. Look. Hallelujah. You see, this word is like calling attention to what happened on the mountain. Look what has happened to humanity. Look at sons of God arising. For God is now with them. Because they have received the redemption of their bodies. Look. The tabernacle of God is with men. God will be with them. They will be with God. That means we come to a state of permanent dwelling in that condition. We are not talking about transfiguring and coming out. No, no, no. It's God to be permanent. Hallelujah. Come on, are you there with me? Read for me Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse number 3 and 4. Praise God. Is anybody following what I'm doing here? For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is Christ? That hath cried, the Son of the living God. Not Jesus, Christ. <laughs> when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him, what? In glory. Oh no. So when the Christ that was in Jesus appeared on the mountain, are you following what I'm talking about? Then shall we appear with him. Our body received the same transfiguration and shall we appear with him. We are in glory. Then the tabernacle of God is now with man. Permanent dwelling. No more coming out of that state. There is hope. I say there is hope. He said, if there's, there's, there's hope, if I've seen the hope, Romans said to tell us, why do we yet hope for it? So, because we have not yet seen it, therefore we hope for it. We hope for something. What is that? A transformation of our mortal bodies. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this corruption, this corruption, these dying bodies <laughs> must put on what? In corruption. And this mortal must put on what? Immortality. It's a must. This is God's agenda. So God is not just allowing man to come Get pregnant, you know, with you, nine months, you come out, you grow, you get a hundred years old with some beers, whatever, right? And then you die, and then say a life well spent. Okay, fine. Praise God. And then your children take over from there, you know, hallelujah. And they'll keep on taking over to the cemetery. Cemetery is full. We have to buy up the old space. Where there is no whatever to put you. We keep on growing the cemetery. Waiting for one day. You know what I mean? When the trumpet shall sound. (laughs) 
So when the trumpet shall sound, and everybody in the grave will just fly out. Those in the cemetery will just fly out. Pa, 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 pa. Everybody will just come and they fly up and meet God in the sky. What a religious deception. I told you here the last time. There is nobody in the cemetery. Nobody is there in the cemetery. Did you hear what I'm saying? Your grandfather is not in the cemetery. Don't go there looking for them. You're going to find a spirit there, but you can't find your grandfather. And there is no time your grandfather or your father is going to get out of the cemetery. No time. He's already out of that place. The day a man drops the fire, the spirit go back to God who gave it. Are you still there with me? I was sharing with some folks a few weeks ago. Before the Christmas period. And we touched this a little bit. Then I asked them, because... You know, when you, you know what you read in the book of Revelation and even the book of Isaiah, it said the sea gave up the dead. And so when they say the sea gave up the dead, they're thinking of the Atlantic Ocean. Huh? So, we have those in the cemetery that will come out, those in the sea will come out. I remember when I was younger, the faith, and they would tell us, oh yes, this is the mystery of God. Hmm? Yeah. The fish will give up everything they have eaten. That's the mystery of God. They look, at, look at what you're doing. You can even think straight as a believer. Okay, take it for instance. I remember when I was young, during the Nigeria Civil War, you see soldiers floating in River Niger, those killed up there. And some of them, you see fish coming, eat them up, you know, those decaying and all of those things. Okay, what's going to happen on the day of uh, resurrection that you're talking about, trumpet is sounding? I have no problem with that. So let's look at it this way. Huh? Your father died. Not your father. Somebody died. <laughs> Amen. And then it was maybe an accident or whatever. Died in the sea. And then one fish ate part of it. Another fish ate part of it. Maybe tilapia, whatever. Different type of fish ate. Whatever place from eye. Whatever. You understand that? And then there was a fisherman that went to the fishing and cast the net. And he caught one of the tilapia that ate your grandfather's eye. And then he took it home and made soup with it. And he ate the tilapia as well. Amen? And so on the resurrection, so what happened? You're going to give up part of the fish you ate. The fish will give up part of the eye that he ate. You understand that? To be able to make up the other human being. Foolishness. Forget how this is just humus. This is just sand. These are nothing. Praise God. Some of you will be half human being if you still be complete because you ate a lot of fish that ate people that died in the sea. Listen, sea giving up the dead speaks of humanity. Oh, come on. Can I show you a scripture on that? Revelation 17, chapter 1 and verse 15. Whew, glory to God. And there came unto me one of the seven spirits of angels which are the seven vows and talked with me saying come hither and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great hall that sit upon many waters many waters means sea large body of water is called sea is that okay? right go to verse 15 so we are talking about spirit as controlling people look at it and he said unto me the waters which is the sea with thou sawest, 
where the horse seated are what? Peoples and multitude and nations and what? And tongues. That is see. Sin speaks of people who have not been redeemed. Sin speaks of people who have not been able, hallelujah, to come to the realization and actualization of Christ's spirit in their life. They are dead. They refer to as sea. So when he said the sea gave up the dead, what is simply saying in humanity, we have no power to resist anymore the glory of God. Mankind move into God's own dimension of life. There will be no more sin, no more dead people, no more rebellious people, no more false prophets, no more false miracle workers. All shall be purified. Get back to God. Amen? Okay, so, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54. So when this corruption shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, that is swallowed up of what? In victory. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> okay, now, let's look at it. That is swallowed up in victory. So go with me to First Corinthians and Second Corinthians five. Take it from a simpler translation. Let it run verse one. We read it the other time, but it's important. We are going to be reading it over and over again. Second Corinthians chapter. Now this is a little bit too long. Take it from a simpler translation. Uh, NIV or NLT. Okay. Here we go. For we know. Now, when he starts saying for we know, you need to go back and be able to see what he said. The suffering of this present time are temporary. Is that okay? Right. Temporary pressure, pains, sicknesses, all these are temporary. That's what he's saying. After all that, he now says for we know. That's a continuation of what he was saying before. Is that okay? So, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. Follow it. When we have a house in heaven, no, no, no. Don't confuse. It's only describing two things. Right? It's not talking of a building up in, now let's read it, you see that. When we have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. You understand that? The house in heaven is not talking about something upstairs. No. It's describing your temporary life now and your permanent life. The temporary life, which is the tenth life, this one we are in now, as compared to the glorified life, which is our true sonship, which is permanent, is called the body of heaven. Amen? Are you with me? You know, in the book of Exodus, maybe next time I'll touch it for you. Exodus, I think, 34. Moses said the same thing. He said, he saw the glory of God and his feet and the body of heaven in his clearness. What's the body of heaven? Hallelujah. The body of heaven is actually talking about the church in a glorified state. 
in his cleanliness, without spot or wrinkle. That's the body of heaven. Glorify people. Come on. Is anybody following what I'm saying now? It says, saw the Lord and his feet. I mean, the body of heaven in his cleanliness. That's why in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about city, which is crystal clear. No spot, no wrinkles. That's the body of heaven. This is a body that we are going to be putting on. No sickness, no pain, no headache. Sorry, the pharmacists will lose their jobs. You will be needing all of those things. All those chemicals you need. Uncle Francis, you're going to enjoy, man. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to lose your job. You will need all of those things. And listen, it can happen anytime. The time I don't know. No idea. When it was the fullness of time, Jesus was born. When the fullness of the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost came. Who knows anything about tabernacle? It could be now, it could be tomorrow. I don't know. Praise God. It's called the body of heaven. Look at the next verse. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies. Like what? New clothing. Did you see that? The one we have was the temporary one. And the old, they are getting faded up. And they drop out. But we are longing. We are desiring. Hallelujah. To put on this new body. Like our new clothing. What's the next thing? For we put on heavenly bodies. Praise God. And we will not be spirit without bodies. I like this. We will not be spirit without bodies. Did you get it now? So when I say you're going to walk on this earth, you're going to walk on this earth with glorified body. Somebody said with this earth, with all this kind of condition, why is the earth in this condition? Bible tells you creation is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So by the time the sons of God come into the place of glory, earth itself will come into another dimension of glory. They are waiting for you. The earth was called because you were caused. How many of you understand that? The earth is the way it is. Yes, because you are the way you are. Everything relates to you. As soon as man was called, the earth was caused. So when man is redeemed, the earth is going to be redeemed. We can, you call it paradise. Praise God. Call it whatever name you want to call it. But a new dimension of existence that God is bringing forth. This is God's agenda. What is man that you are mindful of him? God is concerned because he has something in mind that he wants to do. There is something he wants to bring forth on the face of the earth. And no power is going to stop that. The devil could not stop it. So there is no even religious thinking. It's not going to stop what I'm saying. This is God's plan. This is God's agenda. And we are walking towards the fulfillment of it. The realization of this agenda is coming and it's imminent. Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. While we live in these athletic bodies, we groan and sigh the pains. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Listen to this. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by what? By life. 
We, we are not talking about we want to die. It's not the desire to die. No. We are saying, God help us. Let us receive this body without going through the grave. Did you understand what I'm saying? And that has been a cry of Apostle Paul, but of Philippians, the same cry. We're talking about the prize of the, of the high calling. This is what he was talking about. We'll touch it when we get there. Hallelujah. Are you with me? My friend, you see, there's a whole new dimension of life that God wants to reveal. A whole new dimension of life. See, those in the occult or mystical world, they have no idea about what we're talking about. No clue. And unfortunately, to the church, do not even understand the agenda of God. They have no clue about it. But God is gracious and faithful to us. That he's speaking to us, revealing his mind to us, giving us insight on a daily basis. Praise the living God. Are we still here? So there is a body of glory that God has intended. And this is why, you see, he asks us to pray. Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In the true sense, heaven is coming down. You don't need to go up. Oh, glory. Come on, are you following what I'm saying? Heaven is coming down. You don't need to go up. He's saying pray for heaven to come down. If God's will is being done on earth, what do you want to look for? He said, my will, yes, I want to give it to you. It has peace, everything you can think about. It's right here on the earth. What are you going to heaven to do? He said, I'm bringing heaven to you. You don't need to come up here. Hallelujah. But religion tells us we need to go away. Heaven is saying, don't come to me. I am coming down. I want to bring your heart, your peace, your redemptive body. I want to bring it down to you. You don't need to come up here. But man wants to go up. So heaven is coming down. Hallelujah. Don't be in a hurry to go. No. Heaven is coming down. We have to experience heaven right here on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. Somebody say, what are you talking about? I'm saying what exactly God had in mind and God is not changing it and no power is going to change it. This is God's agenda. What is man that you are mindful of him? Because he wants to make the earth a paradise for man to live in. He wants to change his body. He wants every molecular structure of your body. He's going to receive a transformation. Hallelujah. That is why the word, time will not permit me. May I touch it. When it's in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. You see the deception, brother Lucky? When you say in a moment, they are thinking moment that has to do with the, the wristwatch or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. The word moment is the Greek word atomos. From where you have the word atom. Smaller particle, indivisible particle, whichever way you want to call that in chemistry. Is that okay? So what he's saying, the smaller particles of your body shall receive a change. Not a moment in terms of time frame. No. I want to say the twinkle of an eye. Okay, he's talking about this one. Eh? No, 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 no. Too low a way of thinking of spiritual things. Twinkle of an eye have nothing to do with this. You know what? The Greek word for twinkle is the word ripping. 
R-I-P-E. And ripe means a sudden jerk resulting in a change. So let me put it this way. If you were to be in this hall, deep in the night, no light, nothing, and you are here meditating, all of a sudden the door got open. What's going to be a natural response? There'll be a sweet turning. That's repay. That's twinkling. So what the Lord is saying is, a time comes when you can determine, hallelujah, there will be a change. It's like what you see in Romans 12. Be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something will happen within you. Your body, your molecular structure of every part of your body will receive a change, a spiritual change. And this old tent will drop off. Then we put on a new body, put on the body from heaven. And we walk this earth like Jesus walked for 40 days and 40 nights. If you want to eat, you can eat. And I like to joke with it like I used to say. I know Jesus ate one particular food when he was alive. When he met the people by the seashore, they were roasting fish. He ate with them. How many of you remember that? He didn't eat meat. He ate fish. Resurrected people eat fish, not meat. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. What I mean to say is, you can eat if you want to eat. It is not food that sustains you. Is that okay? It's not food that sustains you. That's why he discovered that the three men that walked out, Genesis 17, and they met Abraham and Sarah. What happened? They prepared food. They ate. How many of you understand that? But they were spirit beings. It was not the food that Abraham gave to them that was sustaining them. No, no, no. They only share fellows with the natural. Hallelujah. That is the body I'm talking about. Is anybody following what I'm saying here? God is not experimental with human beings. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we're walking towards the fulfillment of that purpose. We are going to receive a glorified body. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.